Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Retention. I am still Scott Nye. <laughs> Thanks for bringing that pep, uh, uh, Scott. You're, uh... Dude, the day I have had, I, uh, yeah. I woke. I woke up in a shot at four forty-five, full of energy, and then uh, worked about thirteen hours, and then came home, talked to my wife for about forty-five minutes, and now I'm talking to you. All right. Well, uh, that all sounds very exhausting. Um, except for I'm sure the talking to your wife part was was nice. Um, yeah. The uh, most exhausting part. <laughs> that's not true. I uh, you're in met New York. these women, David. Yeah, they never stop. Uh, no, while you're in New York, um, Natalie and I hung out with uh, w- with your wife this past weekend. Uh, we were like. Vincent Vega and uh, Mia Wallace. <laughs> <laughs> You're like a combined, the two of you combined are a Vincent yeah. Vega. Yeah. Um, no, it was, a, it was a lovely time. We we played bar trivia and we won. I heard. I'm and very we won jealous. A, a free drink during the, the, one of the bonus know. rounds. Really yeah, it was a, it was a fruitful. Back. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm David Bax, by the way. I didn't say that yet. Tyler Smith is uh, still out of commission, uh, still going through the same rough, scary stuff he's been going through for the past four months at this point. Um, so if, uh, you want to know what's going on, uh, what the current status is, what has happened so far, what the potential plan is for the future, you can find all that information at caringbridge.org slash visit slash Tyler and Jennifer Smith. Uh, I'll say it again in case you didn't have time to get a pen. Um, Maybe you're uh, writing it on the carpet and mustard, like that old commercial. Probably even older what? than Scott remembers. I, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> not attuned to whatever you're referring to. Uh, the website is caringbridge.org slash visit slash Tyler and Jennifer Smith. Uh, there's also a link there to the GoFundMe where you can help the Smith family with their ever-mounting medical costs. That would be helpful. Um, also, let me know if I'm the only one who remembers that commercial where... Uh, uh, it's a it's a guy watching TV and he sees some commercial for a great deal or whatever and there's like it's like call now or whatever and he can't find a pen but he was like eating a hot dog in front of the TV or something so like last minute he just grabs the mustard bottle and squirts out the phone number onto his carpet I can't remember what the commercial itself was for mustard obviously or it might have been for mustard um, <laughs> I like the idea that he was sitting there not only eating a hot dog but had a full bottle of mustard at the ready just in case the amount of mustard he allocated in the kitchen would be insufficient for, during the course of the meal I think but do you ever watch do you ever watch I don't know if you ever watch movies first off um, uh, in movies and in TV shows let me know if you do this well I rarely eat <laughs> cereal anymore as an adult anyway but often you will see people eating cereal from a bowl with the box of cereal and the carton of milk on the table with them, like in case they need to adjust as they go or add or whatever to me, I like, I pour a bowl of cereal. I pour the amount of milk that I need. And then the box of cereal and the carton of milk go away. So no, I I know how much I want. Here's here's a fun fact about me is I have not eaten cereal since I was about five years old. Okay. Um, the story goes that uh, I was being a brat and was like sent away from the table for a brief period. Then when I got back, my cereal was soggy and I was so upset by this. I never had cereal <laughs> again. Uh, that's the story I've been told and which very much fits with my character. So um, I'll believe it. Um, yep. 
But the result is I don't know how people eat cereal. The keeping the box and the and carton on the table always made sense to me though, because I don't know if about adjusting as you go, but maybe you finish the bowl and you want a little extra. I guess, but I mean, I, I'm not a glutton like that. You only I eat pour the amount the of cereal. Amount, yeah. 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 You never have um, a little uh, post meal hunger. You need to just uh, take the edge off. Uh, um, I don't know. Then I'll have a, a dried fruit snack. I'm a very healthy person. Some sometimes. Uh, no, I've actually worked on because you, you, you've hit on something that's a long, especially early in our relationship uh, with me and Natalie, a, a, a source of tension because she's very much a sharer she's like oh let me have a bite of what you have why don't you try this and i've learned to realize that that's fun yeah but i came from a place where it was like no the amount of food that i have in front of me is the amount of food that i intend to eat you know and like if i make myself some pasta and she's like oh i don't want any but let me have a bite i'm like well i i would have made that much more you know i remember um uh talking about this mindset on the Doughboys podcast, one of the hosts of the Doughboys said, I would rather buy you your own order of French fries than give you one of my French fries. <laughs> and I totally get that mindset. But now that he has helped me open up and be more of a, of, of a sharer. But I do still yeah. have that thing of like, the food in front of me is the amount of food that I intend to eat. We are very much, Julie and I have been on the same trajectory. Um, I think mostly because I was a very picky eater as a kid. So wasn't accustomed to sharing in general. Like I didn't want what anyone else had. No one wanted my plain ass meals. So <laughs> anything I had in front of me was by necessity just for me. Um, I definitely opened up about it, but weirdly French fries. I'm still very protective of. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so that's uh, what I was going to kick off the show talking about was um the uh, the Golden Globes and how apparently so they're just the back. The show is the topic I was expecting, but by all means, dive in. But I'm just like saying, and I'm, not, I'm the millionth person to comment on this, but like the Golden Globes are just like back, and people are like just reporting. Here are the Golden Globe nominations, and it turns out, oh, they're going to be airing on TV, and Gerard Carmichael is going to host the Golden Globes, and it's I I yeah. don't like did. I don't know. Was there a meeting that I missed? <laughs> like, it just seems it like super weird to me too. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I thought this was like, and I'm not saying that I am the type of person who believes that once, once someone is, or in order in this case, an organization is canceled, they must remain canceled forever. I, I believe in betterment and second chances and forgiveness and all of that stuff, but it just seemed like there was never a conversation <laughs> not that i ever heard about it just happened it's super weird yeah everyone just woke up and decided or rather the golden gloves were like okay we're back and everyone's like i guess we're still covering this or have to um i mean tom cruise didn't give those golden gloves back for nothing david so you know (laughs) i figured that was the line in the sand maybe that's why he didn't get nominated for top gun maverick actually now that i think about this because i didn't read the golden globe nomination because you know I have principles. I, I permanently don't care about the Golden Globes. Yeah. Um, but I was uh, catching up with Julie. I'm on this New York trip, so I talk about it once a day. Um, and so she was kind of like going over the highlights. And I was like, oh, what, how'd Top Gun Maverick do? Because it's kind of been more and more in the awards conversation. I figured it being a big, yeah. highly grossing movie that the Globes would go for. And I guess it got like a picture in uh, some other category. Okay. Uh, but I was surprised it didn't go for Cruise because, you know, they love a star there. 
but yeah. him getting back his Golden Globes, that might explain it. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, this, I mean, I, I, this could sort of be a bigger conversation about people who like refuse to stay canceled or whatever. Right. Um, but sometimes I don't know, is it like, cause I talked about like the idea of people like, you know, becoming like self improvement and becoming better. And like, I, you know, I do believe in, I'm, I, I, I believe in, in, in forgiveness and, and that people can change. Uh, so sometimes when I realize someone who I thought was canceled is, around i just like i don't know maybe they did all that and i just it's out of my sight you know yeah but you would think for a big organization at the globes yeah that we probably would have heard something i mean i'm sure they made some changes but you'd think like they would make the big announcement and do the big to do i'm sure the ceremony itself will have some like you know when the president comes out and gives their speech or whatever their weird awkward speech what if they don't though (laughs) (laughs) that would be more fascinating yeah yeah um what a world yeah the uh the one like that who have a person i thought was canceled and it's just like back to their job like we were watching natalie we were watching something on amc and it was like stay tuned after the walking dead for uh a conversation hosted by chris hardwick and i was like chris hardwick i thought that guy was hiding under a rock somewhere i totally forgot he was uh canceled in my head, that was like one of the big cancellations, but I think that might just speak to like my realm yeah, of Twitter. <laughs> world, yeah. yeah. Um, but he's just like back. So, but I don't know if I'm like, how could people, should I be like, uh, uh, you know, how could AMC extend this job? Maybe he did all this stuff that like you're supposed to do and, and has worked on it and has apologized. And I just don't know. That's all very possible. Apparently, the same year that the allegations were published, AMC did a whole comprehensive investigation, determined, of course, that the allegations could not be proved, et cetera, and then instantly put him back. So I think he's been, like, I think he was barely gone, is really what it came down to. Wow. Yeah. No, I thought he was, like I said, living under a rock somewhere. Um, but no, uh, he's still living on AMC, yeah. talking dead. Goes to show what I know, I guess. Um, Anyway, uh, this is a great uh, uh, transition to me talking about tweakedaudio.com. Tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Uh, Tyler and I use them each and every day of our lives, generally. Like I said, I don't really know um, if Tyler has any use for earbuds uh, in his current uh, situation. Uh, Today, I was listening to a playlist of... um, uh, a bunch of uh, what what a, a website that I read named the, some of the best metal EPs of the year, and I want to call out in particular um, uh, a band. Um, the, it's a it's a German name. It's called Kanonenfieber, which I think means like cannon fodder. Um, sure. And uh, this is a band. This is a black metal band that exclusively writes and performs songs about world war one, which, but why, but as, here's, here's what's, uh, what's, what, what's going to even further blow your mind. That would be weird if it weren't that if that would be especially weird, if they were the only one, it's even weirder that they're not, there is like a micro micro subgenre of black metal that is specifically songs about world war one. From whose perspective? 
<laughs> I think it's, I mean, I, I think, uh, over time, I think we've come to understand just how brutal world war one yeah, was. For sure. It, uh, uh, so I think the, I think it's more about, it's not a pro or a con one side or the other. It's mostly just about man's inhumanity to man. And especially like, I think the way that technology comes in, like it, it came into it, that it was like, it wasn't just brutal in the sense that like the battles in Braveheart are brutal. It was like using machinery and chemical warfare. And right. like, there were new and like human advances that were used to make war even more horrible. Uh, so I think that is a fascinating subject to the kind of people who are into black metal. Um, sure. And, and so, uh, yeah, Canon and Fieber are probably the bigger one, but there's also a band called Verdun and I think a band called 1914. And there's probably more. These are just ones I can think of that, that do music about, World War One, um, but it's certainly. If it were like, me, I'd still take a stand against the Axis powers, but more power to them. <laughs> um, uh, Sounded great on my tweaked.audio.com earbuds. Uh, those are that's a great advancement in human technology. Tweaked.audio.com earbuds. <laughs> if they had those during uh, World War One, yeah. they wouldn't have minded getting blown to bits nearly as much. Um, you can find those at tweaked.audio.com. Uh, they're sort of they're available at a low low price at tweaked.audio.com. Um, uh, but if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So please go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. Hi there. It's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Scott, we're back. Let's get into it, shall we? We spent the beginning of the episode talking about hashtag Me Too and World War One. So obviously, this is our Christmas episode. <laughs> we're in the Christmas spirit. Welcome, yeah. Uh, but you already knew that from the uh, theme music, provided that I remembered to put it on. I haven't forgotten in years, but I have forgotten like once, and I'll never uh forgive myself for having posted the episode without the the holiday music but uh flagellation it's very christian of you so that uh really fits well, with the season i was raised catholic so that's even more specifically like i yeah self yeah flagellation the idea of sublimation of self through physical torment is uh very catholic um that's also why i listen to black metal yeah, yeah, probably a lot of a lot of uh, overlap there. Probably a lot of Catholics listening to 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 black metal. I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised. I shouldn't be surprised. Um, but what we're here to talk about is then uh, this was your aforementioned uh, wife's idea that instead of talking about a subgenre or 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 a category of Christmas movies, we turn. We turn the camera around our, on ourselves and talk about um, 
uh, our Christmas movie memories. Not necessarily specifically, because this is what I asked her. I was like, are you talking about specifically like movies we saw on Christmas Day or memories of Christmas movies? But it's more just like movie memories that are tied to the holidays for whatever yeah. reason. Uh, we can be as as sort of uh, sprawling or or narrow about this as as we uh, as we want. Um, so I'll tell you. Uh, well, I mean, you heard this idea from 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 Julie. Um, what what first came to mind for you? Um, there were a number of years where me and various family members would go see a movie on Christmas Day. So Christmas Eve was always kind of like the bigger family gathering that would wouldn't go late the night because there were always little kids in the family, but um, probably go to like nine or 10. And then Christmas Day, we would reconvene, but we'd have dinner at like five o'clock or something. And so after that, um, assuming, you know, everyone was full and clean up went decently, uh, whoever wanted to would just go see a movie. So that was the first kind of tradition that came to mind um, in this regard. Uh, how about yourself? Uh, well, since I, I also wanted to, uh, you maybe think of something non-movie related, but again, speaking of being Catholic, when I was a kid, like a little kid, and there were even younger cousins than me, we did Christmas Eve at my grandma's house. And then we went to midnight mass. We walked sure. the two blocks to midnight mass on Christmas Eve, um, which midnight, you know, mass is an hour, but midnight mass, especially getting out of there and stuff, it's probably one thirty by the time it's over. Yeah. And I think now to the fact that like, I was a, me and my siblings were little kids staying up that late, which you probably thought was a blast. But then my parents had to go home, get us home after 2 a.m., get us in bed, and then spend all the time, like, spoilers about uh, whether you, sorry if you believe in Santa, but, like, putting <laughs> out all the presents and, like, in many cases, putting together toys, yeah. bikes, and stuff like that. And then you know, we're little kids. We're up for to open Christmas presents at five thirty, five forty-five in the morning. Of course. So like my parents must've gotten no sleep whatsoever on, on Christmas Eve. Um, I feel, I, I feel bad for them in, in retrospect. And at some point, um, that tradition did turn into like the, the church would do a, a midnight mass quote, uh, quote unquote at 10 PM. Yeah. Know? There's a lot of that going around. And, and I think we ended up doing that one less because of there being little kids and more because my grandma was getting old and like, well, sure. You didn't want to stay up till two o'clock in the morning anymore. Um, anyway, so, uh, yeah. So the first thing that came to mind for me, a number of things actually. So with, uh, with the family as a kid, we did not have a Christmas day tradition of going to the movies. We had a new year's Eve tradition of going to the movies. When we were little kids, we would go, to a movie as a family on new year's eve and then my parents would take us to my aforementioned grandma's house my parents because they were still you know young people at the time you know probably in their late 20s early 30s because they like you know midwestern catholics they uh in the early 80s they had kids young you know yeah of um my mom was like 23 when i was born i think um so they would like take us to our grandma's and then they would go out or whatever so i, so I remember seeing like aladdin on on new year's eve and then the, that tradition continued until i was in high school or maybe like late middle school because i don't remember seeing toy story i would have still mm. been in middle school when toy story came out that's 95 is that right yeah yeah okay so i would have still been in middle school um uh seventh grade i guess um but that's the last one i remember seeing on 
on on New Year's Eve. Weirdly, I later had um uh uh, when I moved to Los Angeles is when I started having the tradition of going to the movies on Christmas day, which I don't do anymore now. Mm. Um, uh, you know, cause you've joined us at times, Natalie and I like open presents. Then we go to a bar yeah. on, and like play pool at a bar on Christmas day is a lot of fun. Um, but it used to be with my ex-girlfriend that I moved out here with it. Uh, we, would see a movie on Christmas day. And the three movies I saw the three years we were together when she was out here. Um, but the first two are as like non Christmassy as you can get. We saw Wolf Creek, the Australian, nice. like uh, torture porn horror movie yeah. on, uh, on Christmas day at, I think uh, the, the Chinese six event multi- multiplex uh, the next year, 2006, we saw inland empire on Christmas <laughs> day. I think that would have been at the new art. I can't really remember. Um, and in the third year, I guess left turn into a more populist uh, movie. We saw I Am Legend, uh, Francis Lawrence's sure. Will Smith vehicle. I Am Legend at the Burbank 16 on Christmas Day. Uh, ran into some friends afterwards. But then, uh, uh, weirdly, years later, Natalie and I also kind of stumbled into a tradition of seeing movies on on Christmas Day. Um, uh, the first one we saw was Inside Lewin Davis. Um, which I had already seen. I went to see it again on Christmas Day. I think of the arc light. And but then what happened? Here's why I think the tradition really died. Well, because we found this bar and it's fun to go to. But I think what happened was, for your consideration, like award screenings happened, and so I would like sign up for those on Christmas Day. And like two years in a row, we saw like real stinkers on <laughs> Christmas Day, and we were like, "Why are we wasting our Christmas Day doing this?" Because we saw the Judge on Christmas Day and the yeah. Black Mass on Christmas Day. Both of the DGA, both movies that suck. <laughs> well, that's just, yeah, that's just bad guesswork on your part. You got to go with something reliable for the holiday movie because too much is riding on it. You want to have some good vibes. Um, I don't know what the crowds were like when you would go on Christmas Day, but growing up, we always had pretty good crowds on Christmas Day. Like a lot of people wanted to get away from their families. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. And so I was trying to think of the ones I could remember seeing. I know for sure, or at least I'm pretty sure we saw Catch Me If You Can on Christmas Day, which is an excellent Christmas Day viewing. Um, The next year, I distinctly remember going to see Big Fish on Christmas Day because it had this. I think this is the only time this has ever happened to me where the movie started like a half an hour late. And it was like at a multiplex. It wasn't like at a single screen theater or whatever. It was like, you know, they're on a timer for each theater. And it's just like, yeah all happening i mean it wasn't digital but they're still using a platter system and they got crowds cheering through and whatever else but the movie seriously started like a half an hour late including previews it wasn't like they skipped the previews they still right. did those but we were just sitting there like you know happy to be here it's christmas who cares but also like what's the deal <laughs> yeah i've never had that before i know yeah. right very unusual um i think the next year we saw the life aquatic um which at the time was a bit of a letdown but which i've really come to love um and then i, know- I should watch it again yeah, I, I think you because I didn't like it the first time. Yeah, I watched it again and I liked it a little more. Um, specifically, when Jeff Goldblum says, uh, "How'd you get my coffee maker?" and Bud Court says, "We fucking stole it." <laughs> yeah, I it's, love got, it's so got some great bits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I know for sure in two thousand five we saw King Kong, even though I already seen it before, but I saw it like five times in the theater. So that was wow. a good time. That's a big time commitment too. Dude, I was 19, I think. Like, yeah. I had all the time in the world. Yeah. Uh, 
I, in college, I got those, like, you could get like student discount tickets to movies that you'd buy like a big pack of them, but they averaged out to like seven or $8 a ticket. So for a night show at the, uh, Boston common Lowe's, that was quite a steal. So I just, yeah, just roll in all the time. It was, that theater was like next door to our uh, main campus building, like across the, um, Boston common from my dorm. So I was there all the time. Um, and uh, I was just well, they, you know, I, uh, I, I should say that, um, I have seen James Cameron's avatar, the way of water, which is three hours and 12 minutes long. And I am already trying to figure out when I can go see it again. Ah, so yeah, I'm, I'm still trying to find time to see it. So, um, I was also just thinking of like a sort of movies I saw around the holidays and the most like common memory in there was for this theater called the Clinton street theater in Portland which is truly in like every technical sense, the shittiest movie theater I've ever been to, but incredibly <laughs> charming. Like we we've talked before about my, my frustration and your kind of like blase attitude about masking on movie screens. But like, yeah, if you're showing film one, you don't have like the hard edges of digital production. You just have like soft edges Two, their screen had zero masking. It was like a canvas thing. You could see the ropes on the side, like stretched out. There was no curtains to box it in from any direction. So whatever the projector was just like throwing on the screen was what you got. So you'd have this like yeah, image no, floating in the middle. Yeah, no, I should make clear. If you're, if you're projecting film, you absolutely need to mask. Yeah, the, the, yeah that's, that's very uh, necessary. Um, but I, I saw a lot of really good movies at that uh, place. I, I mean, I remember seeing a second run uh, screening of Michael Clayton, which I'd already seen several times by that point. Um, but more notably, I saw Die Hard for the first time there, which was pretty righteous. Um, and I saw Edward Scissorhands for the first time there on one of the shittier prints I've ever seen that was like missing probably what amounted to several minutes of frames in it where people were just like jumping across the screen. Cause they just had the worst print imaginable. I haven't been to that theater in a long time. Um, they also didn't have any heating. So anytime I went in the middle of winter, it was quite miserable, but yeah. you know, when you're in high school or early college or something kind of charming about going to the worst theater yeah. for a really good movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was going to say something, but what you just said, no, I can't remember. But, uh, oh, uh, speaking of bad projection on a holiday, the first year I ever didn't go home for Thanksgiving. Okay. I didn't, I not only did I, I lived in Chicago with, with Tyler and our old roommate, Cole, the composer of Battleship Pretensions Chilling Theme Music, and they were both home for Thanksgiving. So I, not only was I not home for Thanksgiving, I was literally alone for Thanksgiving. Um, and so I went to, this will be the second, uh, episode of the podcast in a row when i mentioned uh doc films the uh ongoing sure. screening series in in chicago uh i went to doc films on thanksgiving to see all the president's men um and the film was in good shape picture wise but then every once in a while it would just be like still a great movie you can't you can't deny all the president's men um I mean, I, I heard it has good dialogue, but you'd never know. From that <laughs> yeah, uh, but that's not it. We're, we're supposed to be sticking more to Christmas, but that's a uh, uh, a Thanksgiving memory. Uh, but I did remember, I forgot that I did one, t one year go home for Christmas um, from when I lived in Los Angeles, went home without Natalie. It was with my family. 
and we were looking for something to do on Christmas Day between, um, you know, because now, like my family, when I go home now, we're all adults. Well, now there are little kids again. But at, at yeah. the t- during that period when we were all adults and there were no little kids, when I'd be home for Christmas, uh, we would like still go to um, our grandma's while she was still alive on Christmas Eve. But then we'd come home. And like my mom would have like some mold wine in the crock pot or, or pour some wine and we exchange presents on Christmas Eve, like after midnight. Yeah. Um, and then just get to sleep in on Christmas day. So we didn't really have anything right. on plan on Christmas day until we were going to my, um, this is a, I keep talking about my Catholic, my Catholicism, um, but this is a very Catholic thing. I have, um, uh, there's a, person that are people i refer to as my aunt and uncle but really she is not my aunt she is my uh first cousin once removed i think okay but, sure like that's the thing with like catholic families they're just so enormous and you kind of forget like how you're related to yeah. everyone all the time anyway so we we're supposed to go to, so we had a whole day to kill and i was like uh oh let's go to the movies i've heard um this movie tinker taylor soldier spy so this was been 2011 i've heard this is pretty sure. good and it was i loved it but i also in the back of my mind was like this is not the movie that any no. of my siblings thought they were signing up for <laughs> you know it's it's uh uh it's not like a straightforward narrative it's not excitingly paced um i remember there was a lot of people talking a lot of people, people who didn't like the movie that that year which is crazy because i i loved it. it i might have put it on my top 10 list that year i don't know i used to see fewer movies every year um but uh there was some like disappointment among people because the trailer very much made the movie seem like a spy oh, movie, for sure you know um and and people were uh disappointed by the um sort of uh disconnected uh pensive uh, art movie they got but i like the movie better than the trailer but i understand i was not in the uh the the yeah. majority but i think no no one in my family was like that sucked <laughs> but i don't sure. know if they were just being polite cuz i picked the movie i i like tinker taylor but I still don't know if I could recount the plot for you. I mean, certainly not now. I have 10 years removed from it, but even at the time, I think I saw it twice even. And the particulars of the plot were very lost on me to the extent that then when Tomas Alfredson did the snowman next and apparently like didn't have time to finish it. I was like, I wonder if this is a pattern for this guy. (laughs) Was that his next movie? I think so. I can't think of what he would have done in between the two. Let's see. Um, I more yeah. often had, yeah, the even though there's six years in between those two movies, those are, yeah, there's nothing in between. Well, he was so intent on correctly prepping the snowman, you know, I'm glad yeah. it paid off. Um, I most often have the opposite experience with the Christmas series because later ones we end up seeing on Christmas day were like the King's speech, which like, um, my grandpa didn't die for like another eight years, but it was probably the last movie my grandpa would have seen in theaters and he loved it. He thought it was fantastic. And so I didn't want to be there being like, grandpa, you only get the movies once every three years. I'm not going to shit on this movie you loved. So I just kind of had to nod along for the rest of the night and be like, yeah, it was okay. Um, yeah. And um, then can I, this is a uh, off topic, but uh, a grandpa movie story. Oh, so my, sure. um, uh, 
my my grandpa on my on my on my mom's side my grandpa on my dad's side died uh, before i was born um so i never knew my grandma on my mom's side uh died when i was in sixth grade uh and he was uh in his late 70s i think and he was my understanding is he was like semi-retiring but just like to keep himself busy would still like go into the office where they'd like let him work <laughs> i said that sounds like <laughs> it sounds like yeah they just made him like a Play-Doh cubicle or whatever. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, a phone that connects like, to nowhere that he just picks up occasionally. He, he would go in for like partial days or whatever, and then sometimes yeah. he'd like get off early and go see a matinee. And so, I, like after he died, like my grandma was like, "Do any of you like kids? Any of her like twenty-something nieces and nephews? Do you want any of his clothes?" And I found this trench coat that I thought looked really cool. So I put on the trench coat. It was a little bit big on me. My grandpa was a really tall guy. Um, I put on this trench coat and I reached into the pocket and there's a ticket stub for four weddings and a funeral dated like two days before he went to the hospital. So, Oh, wild. Um, yeah. So that was probably the last movie that he, that he saw in the theater and uh, happens to be a movie that I love. You should have held on to that ticket stub. I wish I, I wish I had. And that yeah. trench coat. It was a good trench coat. I wish I'd hold on, held on to that too. Um, I got another coat from him that I never had the guts to wear. It was a tweed overcoat, but with a great big gray fur collar, like real oh, pushy awesome. fur collar. Um, I, I, I hung in my closet for years, and I was like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna wear that at some point." But I could never uh, get up the nerve to go out in a coat with a a great bushy collar. <laughs> That's a damn shame. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the movie we saw the next year after the King's Speech was War Horrors, which similarly I was the only one who did not care for. Um, but uh, that was still probably, feel that way about War Horse because that, that yeah, I haven't been... seen it since then. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that might have been it's definitely the last movie I saw on film in Portland. But I was because I was surprised that they were still projecting on film at the Lloyd Center Ten. Um, but I was also kind of disappointed because the projection was way off. It was like clearly geared far too much to the left and there's like you're yeah. in the edge of the frame on one side and so like when the preview image came up i was like that text is too far to the left <laughs> um the big uh movie that i continue to associate with christmas more than i consider like a christmas movie i don't really have a distinct reason for this but the royal tenenbaums i don't think i first saw it on christmas day or anything but it obviously came out in december and it's kind of christmas seasony and there are parts of the movie that take place at christmas and it uses like the Red christmas music in it so i can see why i keep having this association but it's one that i tend to watch around christmas time um and fortunately one year when i was in portland for christmas they were showing it at uh what was then my favorite uh, rep house in Portland. And uh, that was a, a real pleasure believing. Damn shame how few people turned out for it, but um, definitely a pleasure to see you on the big screen again. Um, I keep taking this off topic, but... Um, Perfect. Uh, I forget, are you a fan of the band The Mountain Goats? Um, I'm going to say no, but not like... Okay. I'm not a, pointedly not a fan. I just right. haven't really listened to much of their music. All right, well, there's a one of their older songs is called... It's called standard bitter love song number eight. Uh, and sure. you made me think of it when you mentioned Lloyd center, because um, that song is about a guy going to the ice skating rink at Lloyd center and seeing his ex-girlfriend with her, with her, with her new bow. And it uh, like ruining his night essentially. <laughs> well, if any of these three people have the taste to be spending that much time at Lloyd center, uh, they, they deserve to be <laughs> miserable. Um, Notably, this was not the theater inside of the Lloyd Center. It was across the street from the Lloyd Center. This was a much nicer theater 
than the one that was four times inside of the Lloyd Center, which was a real shithole. Um, uh, yeah, well, your comment about Lloyd Center uh, makes me understand why. When, when Natalie and I went pre-pandemic, we went to to Portland for a weekend and hung out with her friend who uh, who lives there. And I was like, because I knew Lloyd Center from that song, I was like, yeah. let's go ice skating at Lloyd Center. And Natalie's friend who lives there was like, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Lloyd Center was a pretty bustling place when I grew up, but I have heard tell that now it is like, almost like Dawn of the Dead style of just like completely <laughs> abandoned, except for people randomly wielding machetes around the, the place, which <laughs> nobody is apparently watching over. Um, so yeah, it has fallen from the days of nineties consumerism. Um, shoot. Oh, I did have another thing about the Lloyd center real quick. As long as we're on a tangent about Portland's great mall. Um, yeah. I also recently learned that uh, Richard Nixon visited it and did, a campaign speech there. I think it was when he was vice president, um, but did a campaign speech there using the opening of the Lloyd Center as evidence for why America would win the Cold War. Wow. Which is incredibly amusing to think about as a frequenter of Lloyd Center growing up. Um, uh, yeah, that's um, not the same at all. But uh, speaking of, I guess, communism, the Cold War and and famous speeches. Uh, Winston Churchill's famous speech in which he apparently dubbed the term the Iron Curtain um, was given at a tiny college in Fulton, Missouri, which is like outside of Columbia, Missouri, which is already like a pretty small place. But um, uh, uh, it was um, Fulton, Missouri, one year hosted the um, uh, Missouri thespian, like high school thespian society conference where where Tyler and I. uh, uh, put on uh, a, not just not just us. We were part of a group that put on a on a play. <laughs> Man show. Um, anyway, there the, this this college where he uh, gave the speech, which I'm already forgetting the name of. Um, is very proud of the fact that Winston Churchill gave a speech there. But it's weird oh, that a, a a famous speech happened in a tiny part of Missouri you've never heard of. Yeah, I, I was going to say, what else could the school have to be proud of? Yeah. Uh, okay, so. I think we have, uh, so those are like our going to the movies memories, but also uh, when Julie was pitching this idea, um, which she said she couldn't join us for this because she didn't grow up celebrating Christmas, so she doesn't have the the same memories. Um, When she was pitching this idea, she was also talking about, did you ever, did you used to get movies for Christmas? I mean... Those, that era is not fully over yet. It's I'd say it's mostly over. I don't ask for as many discs as I used to, but yeah. Um, so of course, actually, I had completely forgotten about this. But um, in I'm trying to line up the timeline now, but I, I distinctly remember actually I got my first DVD player for Christmas with the copy uh-huh. of I was 13 years old, Batman Beyond: Return of the Joker. Um, so that was my first DVDs came with the DVD or it didn't come with a DVD player, but my parents bought it them in, in conjunction. Would that be, um, uh, what, is Batman beyond, um, who's the Batman in that? Like who voices Batman in that? Uh, well, it's like a young kid. That's the deal is Batman beyond takes place in the future. And so a young kid named Terry McGinnis takes over the role of Batman and is like mentored by an elderly Bruce Wayne. Okay. So is the elderly Bruce Wayne in Batman beyond Kevin, Kevin Conroy? Conroy? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I never watched any Batman Beyond, but uh, R.I.P. to Kevin. Conner. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, so yeah, I completely forgot about that. Um, the other memory that is uh, more bittersweet is uh, the year my parents got divorced. They uh, tried to soften the whole blow of the whole thing by seemingly getting us everything on our wish list, which at the time was when I was really getting into like foreign films and criterion collections. So I got freaking Fanny and Alexander. I got Love and Tura. I got like all these great like classic films and literally like, felt, had to buy an extra briefcase going back to college to fit them all. Um, <laughs> but the consequence of that was my parents got divorced. Um, think of other, oh yeah, I definitely remember getting the Cliss on Christmas Eve to the wow. great confusion of my uncle who was just like badgering me with questions about like why I would even want to see this movie in the first place, let alone own it. Um, he later ended up becoming a Trump supporter. It's not a surprise there. Um, but yeah, mostly, most of the movie gifts I would get over the years would be met with some degree of like condescending, wishing me to explain it kind of thing of like, what's this little thing over here? I'm like, this is a life-changing masterpiece film. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, it was very, very rarely of like the mainstream variety. Um, yeah, those are the ones, those are definitely the ones that stand out in that regard. Um, interestingly, I have very few memories that I can think of, of getting movies for Christmas as a kid. Like even ones that when, when I was like, a teenager, I feel like I was more focused on getting CDs and records. I have more memories mm. of, of getting CDs and, and records. I'm trying to think what I would have gotten uh, uh, movie-wise. Um, it would have been VHS. Um, I feel like I might have gotten the um, Charlie, Charlie Sheen, Christy Swanson action comedy, The Chase, uh because i was obsessed obsessed with that movie and rented it uh or or got my my mom to rent it for me from the supermarket video counter all the time um because i think i was just like fascinated that it was like this i don't know if you've ever seen it it's it's, no uh, I, i don't even know if i've heard of it um i should look up who made it because i it probably doesn't hold up but i remember like it being like weird and kind of like satirical um uh henry rollins and josh mostel play cops and the movie is clearly like making fun of cops which is something that i like uh uh uh, that was funny there's a there's a (laughs) there's a recurring bit about the helicopter news guy like speculating like as if he's an expert on everything you know that i thought was very funny uh flea is in it it's like a weird weird movie um it also has uh uh carrie elwis plays the uh one of the newscasters okay uh he's doing this very like broad like jokey newscaster voice um and uh his co-anchor is named lolly uh and so there's a part where uh charlie sheen who's like it's a it's you know a a, a freeway chase movie uh that it's like a feature sure. length almost real time like charlie sheen takes christy swanson hostage and uh is is being chased and it's all in the news and so the helicopter guy is like pointing the camera at the car and charlie sweet charlie sheen like gives the finger out the window and it cuts back to the studio and carrie ellis is like nervously laughing and he's like well that's the risk we take with live tv isn't it lolly 
<laughs> that always made me laugh. Um, anyway, so I'm, I might have gotten that because I remember um, opening opening something. Um, okay, uh, sorry, I'm looking at it's directed by Adam Rifkin, who most yeah, recently made the last movie star. What's that? You directed Detroit Rock City. Okay, which I haven't seen, but it seems to be in the same vein. Yeah. Um, oh no, I really want to watch the chase again. Uh, oh, he did the dark backward, which I haven't seen, but I know people that's like a cult, uh, cult classic to some people. Um, what okay, most stood out to me in looking at, at the chase is that it came out two months, be- no, it was three months before the white Bronco chase. I know. Like thinking about it, I was like, is this, was it supposed to be like, yeah, like, yeah. Catching the, the wave of that, but no, it was just foreseeing that um not streaming anywhere not for rent anywhere the man won't Uh, let you watch it yeah that's too bad i really would like to know how i can see the chase um you can probably buy uh, the dvd for all of like three dollars actually no damn you gotta pony up for the chase dvd because that shit is out of print maybe it's a is am i not alone is the chase like does it have a cult following maybe but then why wouldn't someone put it out why wouldn't like shout factory put this out well right they're they're busy releasing whatever else they're releasing they'll get to it eventually or not because who remembers this movie i mean look at the stuff that shout factory puts out well that is true um wow yeah 35 dollars on ebay anyway um this is not Didn't at you all. get your uh, first Blu-ray player on Christmas? Yes. So I was going to tell that, that story. Um, I'm surprised you uh, know that story. Um, well, I am your biographer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, the first year that Natalie and I moved in together. So it was 2010. It was the year we made contact. It was also the year I got a, uh, <laughs> a Blu-ray player. And not only did I get a Blu-ray player for Christmas, Natalie bought me six Blu-rays. I'm not going to remember what, what they all were. And she, because we didn't have our like Christmas traditions yet, she um, made a scavenger hunt for me where every time I would like, so like I open the Blu-ray player and there's like a hint as to where in the apartment the first Blu-ray is. And then um, I'd find it. And with the first Blu-ray, there'd be a hint as to where the second one was. I can't remember. It was definitely like Scott Pilgrim, No Country for Old Men, and There Will Be Blood. Um, but I don't know already. Yeah. I don't know what the other three were. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was very fun. I wish I could remember. I wonder if Natalie remembers what the other three movies were. Um, uh, but I remember that it was six for some reason. Uh, yeah. So that's definitely a, a Christmas memory, but I've stopped asking for, for discs. Um, yeah, same. We've got yeah. too many shelves are busting. Yeah, I, I say I say that I have too many. I don't really buy them anymore, but um, I do get um, because I am, as you are, a charter member of the Criterion Channel. I was I yeah. subscribed to it before it even existed. They send me like ten dollars off discount codes every once in a while. Do you get those? Oh yeah, I, I save those up, man. Oh, I you save like thirty bucks see, waiting for me. I can't. I, I immediately buy this. So I just bought Francis Ha because um, sure. I wanted something that Natalie and I both love. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, any other Christmas? I feel like I had more that I was going to talk about, but I, I, I'm 
drawing a, running, a, a blank. I'm running low myself. I, I yeah. think I mainly just miss going to the movies on Christmas. Um, I should maybe give it a shot again, but it's like very representative of a particular time. Um, Cause it was like the last kind of decade where movie going was still like a big social communal regular thing that normal people did. Um, and mm-hmm. which uh, is still a lot of fun. Actually, I'm kind of think of it. I might have seen, I would have already seen it before, but Ford versus Ferrari, at least around Christmas. Um, Cause I, I went to see it a second time with um, my family and my sister and her family who were in town. They aren't always in town. And my brother-in-law works in the car business. And so like mm-hmm. he had a lot of observations about the accuracy there. And then when they all went home, uh, I stayed at the theater and snuck in to see the remake of Black Christmas. Oh, which remake of Black Christmas? That would have been well, the newer one. The, the, one re- that was the newer one because I was for yeah for Ver- yeah. Um, I left off the big one. <laughs> I think because I because when when Julie mentioned this topic, Natalie and I immediately told this story, and I so I, mm-hmm. in my head I, I already told it out. But I, yeah. yeah, I forgot that I hadn't told them the podcast, or at least not on this episode. Natalie and I second date ever was on Christmas day. Yeah. First date was December 19th, 2008. Um, and I guess I had mentioned to her that I didn't have Christmas plans and I wasn't going home for Christmas that year. Uh, she now is Jewish. So she obviously also didn't have any Christmas plans. So I was like home. I was literally doing laundry on Christmas day. <laughs> uh, you know, less than a week after our first date, I was at home like folding laundry and she called it's me out of the blue. cleaning those clothes you went out with her in. Yeah, exactly. Um, she called me out of the blue, um, and, uh, was like, uh, do you want to go to a movie? And I was like, absolutely. And she was like, how about the wrestler? And I was like, I just saw it. (laughs) So I talked her into, uh, I guess it was, I mean, I like this movie, but, uh, modern day Natalie would not have agreed to it. I think she was just like in the, in the, blush of you know romance or whatever she did yeah whatever I just said. make it sound that so, good for you yeah so i was like uh um i want to see grand torino uh <laughs> so we ended up seeing grand torino um at the arc light on christmas day as our second date afterwards the arc light's no longer there anymore afterwards we went and had because it was like a mid uh, like a matinee screening so we had an early dinner slash late lunch at the one-on-one cafe which is also not there anymore although i guess, yeah. I guess it's reopened under a different name i haven't been my there. understanding yeah uh, but i haven't been to the one-on-one or so that's not there anymore but then we went and got a drink at the drawing room which uh like like the many cockroaches that populate the floor of that place will never die. The drawing room will always be there. Uh, a, a source of so many memories, early dates with Natalie. It's also where I went the night Obama was elected. Because huh. it was like eight years of George W. Bush. We like watched the results at my friend's house who lived in Los Feliz. And we were all like, he won. Let's go out. So we all just went to the drawing room and there were like people like, I don't know. It was a it was a very joyous night in in Los Feliz uh, uh, that night. Uh, yeah, I spent many um, evenings at the drawing room. Yeah, the Barack Obama election came by too formative a time for me because, like, even though I was watching the returns, like the two thousand four election, was very disappointed by them. The the sheer pleasure of that election being such a landslide and being called so quickly 
in our yeah. favor and like, yeah, coming out of George W. Bush era, we had all these hopes for Obama's era and done, yeah. not worth getting into the extent to which those hopes were dashed or not. Yeah. But like, obviously that night was like very joyous. And so now like whenever elections come around, I'm like, oh yeah, remember how fun that night was? And like, yeah. <laughs> never that easy. Um, no. Yeah. I was looking at other movies you could have potentially seen in December, 2008. And, um, you know, granted that you had seen the wrestler, uh, I think you probably made the right call with Grant Torino all around. There weren't uh, a lot of other great options. Although you were in Los Angeles, you probably could have seen Wendy and Lucy, which I didn't get to see until January, 2009. Um, yeah. That would be a lovely little Christmas movie. Yeah. Um, thought something else had occurred to me, but, uh, it, it hasn't. Um, so, uh, guess we should wrap this up i guess i've gotten yes since i've gotten like i'll get like movie related uh presents you know like natalie will give me something like like here's a fun mug that has like a bunch of like iconic movie quotes on it you know or 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 things like that Um, did you ever have the thing of clueless relatives giving you books of like movies that you're like yeah I'm, it's just a list of movies that you know exist already <laughs> no <laughs> oh man i used to get so many of those they'd be like 101 cult movies you ever seen pulp fiction i'd be like okay um <laughs> well i think i was like my mom was always very good about, and i was very good about like making a list a long list of things that i wanted always way too many more, more things than i was going to get but that meant if there totally. were other if there were other relatives like I remember one year my aunt gave me a CD by the jam and I was like, clearly my mom told her that this was on my Christmas list. Mom told her there's no way this aunt uh, yeah. knows who the jam is or cares or would like the, uh, the jam. Um, uh, I don't know if that aunt uh, turned out to be a Trump supporter, but I'm pretty sure she's an anti-vaxxer at least. So <laughs> right on her way. um yeah i always made big lists but there's always some relative who's just gotta like go off book and uh try to show an interest and i'm like stick to the list yeah um you have any movie plans this upcoming christmas season i mean i have hella movies to see (laughs) um because i between being sick for over two weeks and like go out of town for thanksgiving and also there's other stuff going on in my life that you are aware of that uh, I'm not talking about on the podcast. Um, I've missed a lot of movies. So I have um, a lot of time over the next two weeks to catch up. And luckily I am, you know, privileged enough and fortunate enough to be a part of critics organizations and it's award season. So I get, I have a lot of awards, award screening scheduled over the next two weeks to try and catch up on, on, on stuff. Um, So, um yeah but nothing on christmas day i do have um i don't talk about this because i hate that this has become like an annoying like worn out topic we have a christmas eve tradition here uh in los angeles um us and another couple and and some sometimes other people come in and out and join but it's mostly us another couple go to dinner on christmas eve and then we go over to their house because they have a big like projector you know Sure. And we after we so we have a big dinner and we go and we make like we go and and uh this is a friend of the show Frank Feel My Wrath McGrath. He uh makes 
gin and tonics and popcorn and we watch Die Hard. But I'm always like weird bringing that up because like the whole thing of like, oh, Die Hard's Christmas movie is like, I hate that it's people still think there's anything interesting about that debate. To me, I've thought of it as a Christmas movie since I was a kid. I just watch it. I don't want to weigh in. I don't think I'm being like, I don't think I'm being like ironic or out of left field by watching Die Hard at Christmas. I just am. And I don't want to like get into the debate. Yeah, I think at some point we'll probably be able to just like acknowledge that in the same way that you watch like a Christmas story around Christmas. Um, that is just like, yeah, natural tradition makes sense. Which speaking yeah. of which, Julie and I, the one time she saw a Christmas story, because growing up Jewish, you didn't necessarily have it in the rotation or didn't really have like necessarily the inroads or interest to watch it. But one time in Portland, it was playing at a local theater over Christmas break. And so I was like, you should probably see this movie. And she loved it. So. Um. And then I, I just remembered now that I might be starting a new tradition because last year on Christmas, we, we did go briefly to the, the uh, we had a, a, a smaller Christmas. We obviously 2020, we didn't do any of these of our normal things. Yeah, yeah. 2021, we kind of did some of our things. We went to dinner. We didn't go over to the movie because I remember there was, a, as there is kind of now, there was a big spike in cases that year. Mm-hmm. So we went to the bar. We were like kind of outside, but it was kind of cold. So we didn't want to. So we went home a little bit early and we picked up Chinese food because that's a thing that uh, uh, that's uh, um, Jewish Natalie introduced me to her family's Christmas traditions, sure. Chinese food on Christmas Day. So we picked up Chinese food and went home and we watched Happiest Season on Hulu. Nice. So um we were talking about maybe like maybe this year, like when we leave the bar, we pick up some Chinese food. We eat it while we watch happiest season. Maybe that's our new tradition. That sounds uh, great. Which is uh, actually, uh, I won't, I'm always, I always steer clear of saying what I, where I eat dinner every year on Christmas Eve. Not because I don't want people to find me, but because I have said before, speaking of happiest season that Clea Duval and her family also uh, eat at this same place every Christmas Eve. We see Cleo Duvall almost every Christmas Eve, at least pre-pandemic. That's very weird. We haven't seen, but we like like she's always at the the same restaurant at the same time that we are on Christmas Eve. So that's why, because I've told that story before, I never want to say what restaurant it is because I don't want people like to like I don't know show up and harass Cleo Duvall. <laughs> but she's yeah, she's always there on Christmas Eve. Um, I'm very charmed by this. Uh, yeah, but Natalie was saying this year, if we see her, we should like tell her we're going to watch Happy Season. I was like, no, let's let's not bother anyone. <laughs> I think she would love that. Are you kidding? Maybe, maybe we'll see. Just like on the way out, just give it a shout. Be like, we're on our way home to watch Happy Season, and then leave. <laughs> All right. Um, I think that's it. Uh, Absolutely, that's Christmas, baby. Yeah. You can find us at battleshippretension.com. Uh, you can email me at Davey. No, that's not true. You can email me at David at battleshippretension.com. You can email Tyler at Tyler at battleshippretension.com. But I think uh, I, I have gotten word that he is not uh, accessing his emails these days. So probably don't do that. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Davey Pretension. You can follow Tyler on Twitter at Tyler Pretension. Again, he's not tweeting right now, but um, give him a follow. Why not? Um, it's not going to clog up your feed. He's not tweeting. Um, uh, again, it's caringbridge.org slash visit slash Tyler and Jennifer Smith. Oh, yeah. Check out my other podcast. It's called The One Where I Met Your Mother. We watch an episode of Friends and an episode of How I Met Your Mother every week. Um, I'll say right now, if the, the, the sort of 
genesis of this podcast was that i'm a big how i met your mother fan and natalie's a big friends fan and we try and like uh sway each other i would say uh seven episodes into the fourth season natalie is winning friends is good <laughs> uh, and how i met your mother is when it's good it's really good but sometimes it's not as good as i remembered and also like i I think I've said this before that like I expected in terms of like problematicness or things that haven't aged well, I expected friends to have aged poorly simply by, by virtue of being older. But I forgot that how many other came out in this era of comedy where there's a lot of like, mm-hmm. try trying to be edgy, you know? Yeah. So, totally. there, so there's a lot of jokes that are just like, Oh, that's so like, it seems lazy and mean spirited. Um, in in the pursuit of like edginess it's sort of like that whole like knocked up like you know how i know you're gay you remember that whole scene in knocked up that sort of 40 year old virgin but yeah uh oh yeah Eh, whatever um that was 40 year old virgin get in front of any Uh, listeners who are young at their uh, mics um so yeah that whole thing it's like that same era of of comedy of like no it's cool for us to do this because we're not actually homophobic or sexist so we can make homophobic sexist jokes somehow um and it's well, edgy cast and, an actual gay guy and how i met uh, your mother thus uh yeah i guess there is some sort of like uh winking, winkingness that like they've casted an out gay guy although he, yeah. i don't think he was out when he was cast by the way actually that's a good I, point I think he came out during the first season or after the first season anyway, but like having an out gay guy play this like misogynistic Lothario is, I guess, conceptually funny. Um, and maybe they thought they could get away with more because of that. Anyway, you can find that kind of conversation, but also a lot of silliness at the one where I met your mother. Uh, Scott, where can people find you? Uh, still on Twitter, uh, real of tomorrow, real of tomorrow, gmail.com. Thanks to everyone who, gave such uh, kind words about the Godard episode. Um, yeah. Very, I haven't been great about replying to them, but uh, it meant a lot. Um, and so uh, if you haven't, obviously if you haven't complimented us, you should all, you should do so. Um, join the choruses. Uh, but thanks for those who have. And at Letterboxd, um, Scott and I, and don't try to find me on Hive anymore. I don't even know how to delete it, but uh, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not doing anything with it. I haven't checked my Hive. I know. In a while. I it was exciting for like two days there. Yeah. All right. Well, um, thank you for uh, uh, filling in for Tyler for being almost as good. I feel like tonight I'm really limited with that almost, but I, I, I am beat. <laughs> so we'll uh, see. All right, well, I'll have more next week. Uh, thank you at home for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.